0: You can be seated this morning. What a great group to have here on spring break. We are so excited that you are here. Man, I love the worship this morning. And if you just haven't gotten enough, that's okay, because we are going to have more worship at the end of our service today. And you get to experience, maybe you haven't really realized it, but we have a brand new sound board in the house today. Let's give God a hand for that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's Okay. What that tells me, that lack of emotion and enthusiasm, tells me this. Number one, you don't know how fortunate we are that the sound system actually worked every week prior to this week. That is how, that is how fortunate, because uh, uh, Danny had looked at it and he goes, you know, we need to really make it into the 1990s. It would really be a great thing for us to be able to do. And uh, this new soundboard is actually going to be going with us to our new building. And so we went ahead and got it now. And what that means is this. It means that there are no monitors up in here to impede my walking from side to side when Kara, when Kara was born almost nineteen years ago, I began to pace, and I have not quit since okay, so that is what I do as I walk when I speak and do that so there's no monitors in the way, and uh, man, the sound system is just uh you may not realize it, but our musicians are feeling uh in high cotton today as we would say in the south but we are fi- we are rapidly coming to the close of this series and we want to finish strong and as we've looked at Nehemiah rebuilding the fallen walls as Kyle mentioned a little bit earlier in two weeks we're going to be doing an event for the very first time here at EVC it's called EVC Go Heart for the World. EVC Go is what we do as a church that are that's outside the four walls uh, or many walls and many foundations for that matter of this church okay and uh, so we do this is work that we do uh for our community, and for our world. And we call it EVC Go. And instead of calling it missions, because mission sounds like something that only missionaries can do, we call it EVC Go because going is something all of us can do. Amen? Now, we talked about response two weeks ago. I spoke from this stage, and we talked about response and how much it's really good for us to get that. So EVC Go is what we do outside these walls. Amen? Oh, very good. Thank you for waking up and being here today. I see that some of you are experiencing SAD. That is seasonal disorder. And how many of you have had difficulty waking up this past week, okay? Thank goodness for spring break to actually give us a week kind of to get into this whole thing because it's been like, why is it so dark in the morning, you know, trying to figure some of these things out. But EVC Go, Heart for the World, is going to be in two weeks. It's going to be an interactive experience for your families and for you just to see if you've not been... To uh, to some of these places that we work in Honduras, in Montreal, in Malawi, then we want you to be able to kind of experience that here. You may not be called to go to one of those places, but you may give to those places. You may uh, you may be called to work more locally, and we're going to local. All of what we do locally is also going to be represented there. But it's going to be a fun event for your kids, and so we highly encourage you. Please. Make that an opportunity for you to be here from 6 to 8. It's come and go. You come and spend as much time as you want to from 6 to 8 on the 29th. So that's in two weeks. But as we are in this series and we want to finish this strong, we're rebuilding fallen walls in our world. And that's the way that we do that. EVC Go is one of the ways in which we do that. We've been talking about different ministries, like our special needs ministry. And we, you, you saw a video a couple of weeks ago about our special needs ministry and, and just how God is doing that, uh, feeding ministries and other things that are going on out of people here at EVC as we seek to rebuild fallen walls. Well, we want to get back into that and understand a little bit further of this today because as we come to this point today, it's really <clears throat> we are continuing to move through this culmination period of everything that happened. The wall had been rebuilt in 52 days. 46,000 people had been a part of the process to return to Jerusalem and to help rebuild the wall. And then we ask this question. This was written 2,500 years ago. Is it really relevant to us today? And the answer is absolutely yes. We're going to see today the real relevance of this story and what it is. Keep in mind that Nehemiah is the last chronologically written book prior to Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, Nehemiah provides us this last bridge. It's the the footbridge that leads on to the bridge that heads to the New Testament. And so Nehemiah is setting this stage, and the rebuilding of the wall and the reinstitution of temple worship is such a huge picture for us today. So I want us to get a couple of things in mind today. When we see the temple of God in the Old Testament, It reminds us and it's a key metaphor of two significant things in our life. First of all, the temple of God represents us in our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that uh, very clearly as it talks about that we are God's temple. So anytime you see the, the temple in the Old Testament, you need to be thinking about that that's really a metaphor of where God's spirit lives today. Which Where does God's spirit live today? He lives in us. Does he live right here in this building? No. This building is a launching pad. It is a gateway to go where God wants us to go. That's why we have EVC Go, because this is not where we're called to stay. We're called to be outside these walls, doing what God has called us to do and to be in our workplaces, businesses, schools, wherever that takes you. We're to be outside of these walls. But so the temple is speaks of where God's Spirit lives today. The second thing that the temple always represents or can represent in the Old Testament is the local expression of the body of Christ. In other words for us, Eagles View Church. Yes, First Baptist Saginaw, Saginaw United Methodist Church, other churches, evangelical churches who call Jesus Christ Lord all over our community and all over our world, but it's the local expression of the body of Christ. So we can understand when the when the Old Testament speaks of the temple of God, it is talking of these two things. One, our bodies because our bodies are his temple. But two, it's a local expression of the body of christ so as we work through this today we need to have that those two metaphors kind of firmly in hand as we understand what's taking place And we're going to start with nehemiah nine verse 38 because everything that that last verse of chapter nine is really the bridge to get to chapter 10 today because it is looking back and then we're living forward and that's the title of this message today we need to look back and we need to live forward in what God has called us to do. And looking back is a key thing that we must do in our lives. We must look back at what's happening. Now, how many of you can remember what it was like to take your driving test? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Those who are not raising their hand are either too old to remember what your driving test was actually like, or you rode a horse to take your driving test and (laughs) borrowed a car from someone else or something to that effect. All right. But you remember your driving test. And I remember teaching uh, or helping my daughters understand this a little bit. Look, this was a phrase that both their grandfather, who was the primary teacher, and by the way, if you have a grandfather who can help teach your children to drive, that's much better for all of you. I'm just saying, okay? It really is. It's really a great thing. And their grandfather, Jennifer's dad, actually uh, taught driver's ed. So what a blessing, okay? He is willing to teach your children how to drive as well, I might add, for $59.99. No. All right. So, I remember this and teaching them this. You've got to always keep your head on a swivel, right? Okay? You've always got to be looking side to side. I'll never forget when Allison went to take her test just this past year. The girl came in who was just leaving her test and she had almost failed because she said, they want you to always be looking side to side through the intersection. And then he just told me to keep my head moving side to side doing all this. So, I was going, Allison, make sure that you remember to do this as she goes into her driving test. But you have to do that. You have to be looking at your mirror on your left, your mirror on your right, and that essential rear view mirror, right? It's important for you to know what's going on behind you. But what will happen if you only peer into the rear view mirror and keep your eyes only there? What will happen? You will crash, all right? There will be a wreck that happens in front of you that you don't stop and you become part of that wreck. If you gaze only in the rearview mirror. I had one of our members who came up after the service and said, man, that really brought back a huge memory for me because he, he had lost his son to suicide earlier, uh, a year and a half ago. And we were talking about the fact he said that that illustration was something that they had told him as a survivor of suicide is remember the proportionate size of your rearview mirror and your front windshield. And you need to be looking through them at those proportions. The rearview mirror is small, but it's essential that you remember where you've been, and that's what the children of Israel are seeing. But we cannot gaze into what's behind us, or else we won't be able to live forward to what God desires for us. All right. So today we're going to take this glance backward. And then we're going to seek to live forward. Is this what was written 2,500 years ago? Is it relevant to us? Absolutely. We're going to talk about its relevancy. So look first at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. And it says this. Nehemiah basically had the same message I had two weeks ago. He said, the people responded. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's try one more time. The people responded. All right. So that's what the people did. And he says, in view of all this, in view of all what? Well, what Nehemiah has just gone through, or the writer of Nehemiah, what he's just gone through is basically the cliff notes or synopsis history of the children of Israel documenting this upward roller coaster ride that they've been through in their life of obedient times and living on the high and then disobedience taking them to the low. And what have they just come out of as they've come out of these years of captivity? They've come out of the, the actual... Depths of the bottom of the lower level, and they're now transcending back up because of their obedience to God. Now that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like many, many times the the roller coaster ride of the Christian life that sometimes we have been on. And is the roller is the the Christian life designed to be that? No, it's designed to be a a, a consistent, steady climb of obedience in our lives. But as we have called and understand what we are at EVC, we are the church of the broken. We have gone through those valleys. We have have tried as your pastors to admit where we struggle, where we make mistakes, and where we see those things that we all go through these ebbs and flows of life. But this is, we need to peer backwards in view of all this to see what God has done. Now, what happens here in this synopsis in chapter 9 As Pastor Bart talked about that this last week and we talked about confession and we moved into this time of communion. Do you realize that communion and what we're going to do next week, as Kyle said, we're going to do baptism next week. These two observances are actually looks in the rearview mirror for the church because they are remembering the last supper of Jesus Christ and what that calls us to. We commemorate that. When baptism, we are looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We always say it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I always remind you of that because if it was death and burial, you'd go under the water and stay. Okay? Not a positive thing for you, okay? We, you would be saved uh, because of your commitment to Christ. And then baptism, you would immediately die and go to heaven, okay? So that would be that would be the process. Some of you are going, I'd make a lot less mistakes that way. That is true. That is true. But baptism is is an observance that we do that. We are looking in the rearview mirror of seeing something in the past and something moving forward to the future. We have this celebration in three weeks. Yes, it's only three weeks away. What we call the Super Bowl of worship. It is Easter, okay? As we do this, as we experience this together as a church, it is a looking back at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and understanding how we live forward from that. And this synopsis that Nehemiah gives us in chapter 9 is also repeated a couple of other places. Let me just remind you where these are. If you want the Cliff Notes version of the children of Israel and their lives and disobedience and obedience, here's where you can get it in just a couple of chapters, okay? Psalm 78 is a place where you can go. As we see the psalmist look at the life of Israel and how it is relevant to us today. Another place is the account of Stephen. As Stephen gives this dying declaration in Acts chapter 7, you can see as he goes through, he's dying, but he gets the message in, all right? That is what Stephen does. And in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen's message of the synopsis. And then the whole book of Hebrews is really a look back at the children of Israel and how they were obedient and disobedient and then how Christ meets every need and every point of where the children of God and where we have been disobedient. So we see these rearview mirror looks, but we can't always peer to our past. We've done a phenomenal support group here at EBC and we will do it again in the future and it's called Making Peace With Your Past. Because we understand, as we are the church of the broken, that's what we all are. And the sad thing is, all churches are churches of the broken, just some of them haven't realized it yet, okay? But we have realized it, and we know that's who we are. But making peace with your past, if you've had difficulty, if you've had abuse, if you've had abusive relationships, or difficult relationships, or divorce, or uh, just trauma that's been in your life, making peace with your past is a great evaluative view of your life because it shows us our weaknesses and where we need to heal from and where we need to move forward from as we live forward to this life but we need to have a glance into the back we need to have a glance into the past of our lives but we don't need to become paralyzed on that view so that's what the children of israel are doing in view of all this chapter 9 we are making then this solemn promise and we're putting it in writing on this sealed document are the names of our leaders and levites and priests folks this is why at evc we do a membership covenant let me tell you what a covenant is a covenant is an agreement between two parties it is not a contract a contract is where one is basically subservient to the other But a covenant is where two parties come together and mutually agree to what obedience to this relationship is going to be. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. It's two parties who equally come to it and agree together to live in this relationship. Covenant is always about a relationship. And what the children of Israel are doing and what we're going to read and look at today is they are establishing this covenant and committing their lives to this covenant relationship with God. And that is what they do. In view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. And that's what the children of Israel do. But this is why, ladies and gentlemen, that we do a membership covenant. And today is the day. Now, you guys don't Get to see this, but we have one of the largest new members groups are, uh, that's going on right now. It goes on during this hour. In just about three, or f- actually four weeks, it'll be the week after Easter, we'll be doing our next newcomers class. And it'll be an opportunity for some of you who've been visiting to take this next step and look at uh, the possibility of becoming a member here at EVC. And we walk you through this eight week process, and today, on week six, We look at the membership covenant. I asked Jerry a few minutes, uh, or actually before the first service, and I said, hey, when are you guys actually doing the membership covenant? He said, it's today. I said, perfect. It's the reason that is why we do a membership covenant is because these individuals, in view of everything that had taken place, in view of the wall being completed in 52 days, in view of them realizing that they're, Parents and their grandparents had disobeyed God and it was a reason they were in the situation that they were in they now recommitted their lives and the family heads typically males who would walk up of these 43,000 people each family head would step up to the plate and he would take whatever writing instrument was there and he would sign his name to this covenant recommitting his life and not just his life but his family's life in perpetuity that they would follow God's commands that their predecessors had not. And they signed their names on the line. Folks, that's relevant to us today. Because we must, on a daily basis, as our Men's Life group talked about yesterday, we've been in a series and we've been talking about the filling of God's Spirit Being full of God's Spirit is not a one-time event that you did when you accepted Jesus Christ. Yes, you received the Holy Spirit. But then there's this process by which we empty ourselves and become full of Him. But it requires an emptying of us. But it's a daily basis where we confess to Christ as we did last week before we observed communion. And we walk with Him on a daily basis. It is a process of leadership. Nehemiah is a book about leadership. It's a book about how we lead our families. It's a book about how we lead in our jobs, how we lead in our communities. And here's the first question that I have for us today, and that is this. How do you know if you're a leader? How do you know if you're a leader? I know I'm a leader if what? I have people who follow me. For every husband and father in the room, You are a leader whether you want to be or not. You are. For every mother and wife in the room, you are a leader whether you want to be or not. Why? Because people follow you. If you teach in our children's ministry, if you are a member of EVC and you're in this community and you put the EVC sticker on the back of your car and you drive like mad in the traffic... You are a leader because people are following you, right? And Where are we leading people? Here's what I know for Bart, myself, other pastors on our staff, when what we understand is this, we are going to be held to a higher standard before God because we were called to lead. And that's not always fun, but it's the truth. Our lives sometimes may be a fishbowl, but it's a fishbowl that we've been called to because God has called us to lead, and he's called you to lead as well. I learned that this week, that you are a leader if people follow you. First On spring break, we went back to the hills of Arkansas. I took off my shoes immediately over the line and went, oh, I'm home again. All right, I took my land of opportunity and took my opportunity and left. But here I'm back in, in Arkansas. We went back and we hiked in this place called Devil's Den, okay? What a great place for a pastor to go. But Devil's Den, okay? I went in with the gospel, prepared, all right, now. So this beautiful place, we were going to go into some caves there. and We discovered that there's this, been this fungus there since 2010. It started in New York, and it's killing bats, and so you can't go in the caves. But a phone call would have been nice for us to have placed to Devil's Den, but instead we went on a hike. And I determined that I know that I am a leader because my family followed me on what was supposed to be a mile and a half hike. That the lady said the trail was clearly marked, all right? Let's just say her version of clearly marked and my understanding of clearly marked are two totally different things because our 1.5-mile hike turned into about a five-mile hike and my family thought Gilligan's Island was happening, and we were not on our three-hour tour anymore. And Jennifer says to me, do you know where you're going? And I said, babe, it's an adventure, all right? It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. As Jennifer and I, our relationship, uh, as we've talked about, she is kind of a combination of Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore, and guess who I am? woo All right, I'm Tigger. In our relationships, that's, that is who I am. And so, it's all fine. It's great, babe. We'll just, we've got our food. Oh, yeah, we left it in the car, too. So, great. So, we're on this mile and a half now, five-mile hike. And somewhere, some time into the hike, I realize that there is a bicyclist that I see going about 35 miles an hour down a hill. Well, I'm realizing, hey, he's not on a trail bike. He's on a road. Well, I may not be real intelligent, but I know that where there's a road... There's a trail that I can follow, okay? So we go straight up this incline, up to the road, and then I'm thinking, okay, we can get back to the camp, but all I see from this height is a bunch of switchbacks back and forth. I'm going, well, it's going to take us a little bit longer, and it's now raining, all right? So I'm not saying I'm a leader, but I'm a leader, all right? Because my family followed me, and we eventually, hey, we're here today, right? All right, it's all, all comes out well in the end. We know we're a leader because people follow us. And the children of Israel, when they step up to the plate, and the, family, the head of each family group signs his name or her name to this book and to this covenant, they're saying, look, it's not just for us, it's for our family." It's for the generations that follow after us. Here's how that, that discussion probably went at home. As Mordecai, the dad, that's a good Jewish name, right? As Mordecai comes in and he says at dinner that night, hey, family, I just want you guys to know what I've done today. Well, dad, what have you done? It's what You know, expected something great. I've signed my name. To a covenant. You remember a couple weeks ago when we stood by the water gate and Ezra read the book of the law and we all stood? remember when we did that? Oh yeah, yeah, remember when we did that. Well, I, I've signed my name to obey what God said. And that's going to make a huge difference for all of us. Julie, the daughter in the family, Ted son in the family, says, well how's that going to make a difference for us? Well, Julie, it's going to make a difference for you because you remember that guy you were dating? He's not Jewish. That means you can't date him any longer. But dad, no. Here's the reason. Because God's called us into a covenant relationship. Now, some of the things that we're going to talk about today, they're not real popular things, and I understand that. Now, remember, we're the church of the broken. We realize not any of us Have made this 100%. We struggle in this. But God has called us to recommit our lives. And these individuals stood up and they were leaders. And they signed their lives to this covenant. And it's incredibly relevant to us today. As we look at this, what we're actually seeing is as we live forward, what we're doing is we're committing our lives to our covenant relationship with God. We're committing our lives to our covenant relationship. That's how we live forward. I want us to look at Nehemiah 10, 28, and 29. It says, Then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, now keep in mind, the Levites were the ones who were, they would help people understand. They would explain the book of the law to the people. The gatekeepers, the singers, the worshipers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, together, with their wives, their sons, their daughters, and then listen to this statement and all who were old enough to understand. Folks, this passage is why we do a membership covenant. This passage is also an explanation of why we do ministry the way that we do it here at EVC. All who can understand. Some of you are preschool teachers. Teachers in our kindergarten, first grade, second, third, fourth. We have a new ministry that began this year, uh, in in ministry that was specifically to our fifth and sixth graders. And they're doing a, a retreat this upcoming weekend. Because we realize that our fifth and sixth graders learn differently than our middle school students. And differently than our first, second, and third grade students. You see? Because they're old enough to understand in a different way we do ministry here at EVC where we invite you to take your infants to a place where they're going to be loved and cared for in a place where they can understand on their level and where you can understand on your level removed from sometimes the distractions that sometimes that can be now you're always welcome to bring your children in here you're not going to be asked not to bring your children in here but this is the reason why We have these ministries available is to make this possible so that our kids can understand on their level. But parents, let me remind you, guess who the primary discipler of your children is? Is it Pastor Dustin? No, it's you. You are the primary discipler of your children. As the church, we agree and we commit with you as we do in our baby dedication that we stand with you to help you equip, to for you to be equipped to be the primary discipler in your home. We are going to equip you. We are going to undergird you. We are going to help you on the weekends as we do this. We are going to, to, to provide a basis and a skeleton for you to hang the meat of the gospel on in your homes. But here's what the primary who the primary discipler is: it's you. And that means that when you're children and you get to be the gauge of that when they're old enough to understand, they probably need to be reinstituted into the life of the body of Christ here on Sunday mornings, right here where we're at. Now, why is that important? Well, I know that some of you come for one hour and the kids go one place and you go another place. We're not seeking to divide the family, but the point of this is this. We have a responsibility as the parents to set the tone in our homes and to set the tone for worship and when our kids are reinstituted, back into engaging God on an adult level. And the reason that's so important is why that children tend to go to Christian programs like a student ministry and then go to college and they never are part of church for years and years until they begin to come back, typically when they start to have children because they realize the importance of the faith of the new new generation. See, parents, it's our responsibility that we reinstitute this into the life of our children and that we are committed to corporately worshiping together. There's a reason for us to do that. Verse 29, they joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. Now think about that. Why did they swear a curse to themselves? Well, what had they just been through? They realized that the result of disobedience is multiple years in an empire that is not their own, right? So to swear a curse on themselves is really saying, listen, we are so uh, committed to this that we do not want to experience what disobedience brings to us. We want to throw ourselves before God and that if God sees disobedience in our life, we would rather God be in control than an empire that is a pagan empire. Does that make sense? So they, they swear a curse of, on, and an oath on themselves If they fail to obey the law of God as issued by the servant Moses, they solemnly promise to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord their God. You see, one of the primary things that I want you to understand today is that this is a book about leadership. It's a book about committing our lives to leading our families the way that God has called us to lead. That's what Nehemiah is about. And these people took a strong stand to recommit their lives. But is it relevant to us? I would say absolutely it's relevant to us. It's relevant to us because we live in a country that needs prayer. Amen? And I want you to know we've got something that has just started a few weeks ago. Every Saturday morning at 8.30, there is a conference call that we are happy to give you the information on. If you would like more information on this, you can simply uh, give Karen Schwager a call here in our church office. We will get you the information on this conference call because you can join this call. You can put it on mute, walk around your house. But it is prayer that has begun right here at EVC for our nation every Saturday at 8.30. And you can be a part of that if you want to. And so we want to encourage you to do that. So every, uh, so it happens at 8.30, and so we would love to give you that information if you would like to be a part of that. But we are committed to praying for our nation. We're committed as a church to being what we need to be for our families. And is this relevant? Yes. I want to give you three critical points that I believe the relevancy of this message, yes, written 2,500 years ago, but it's relevant to us today the first one is this we must commit or it's a commitment of the faith of our families we've got to make a commitment every day a new and a fresh a commitment to the faith of our families i heard this on a message this past week in preparation for this and i want to say this to you listen to this statement I encourage you to write this down it's not one i came up with because i it's just it's phenomenal here god's Purposes take precedence over my preferences. Let me say it one more time God's purposes take precedence over my preferences. Some of the things I'm going to say today are right out of God's Word, but they're not popular things. And I understand that. A commitment of the life and the faith of our families, when we look at what the Word says, is not always a popular thing, but we have to commit ourselves that God's purposes. Take precedence over what my preference is. My preference really doesn't matter as much as God's purposes does. As God's purposes do. Amen? God's purposes matter. So a commitment to the faith of their families. Now listen to what Nehemiah says in chapter 10, verse 30. Julie, what does it mean for you? Tad, what does it mean for you? Mordecai the father says, he says this, We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land. And not to let our sons marry their daughters. Here's the point. We cannot be unequally yoked in the body of Christ. Now some of you, you say, I've already made that decision. You don't need to go back on that decision. This is God's will for you. You are in this marriage. You are in this relationship. You are in this business partnership. But here's what God says. Listen, I can make this so much easier for you that if you will follow the faith of your fathers, if you will commit yourself to marrying only someone of like faith, then it will cause so much greater harmony in your relationship than if you don't. And some of you could stand up and give testimony of that today. It is a difficult thing and it is not always popular to say that. It is not always the easiest thing to say this. But God has called us to it. It's not my word. It's what God says. He renews it in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? This is not just to go against political correctness. This is a desire that a family can move in faith together i can tell you so many testimonies of people that i've seen they've walked through the hardship of going in two different directions of faith in their family hey we'll go here some of the time we'll go here some of the time and we'll try to do this it is such a difficult process i've been watching a little bit of andy griffith over my spring break okay i'm a lover of andy griffith all right but i also love barney fife and barney fife would say this this means parents When your children are dating, you need to nip it in the bud. All right, that's what Barney would say, right? I believe that anyone you date is a potential mate, or they should be. Why are you going to date them if they're not? And that means that you take a stand, parents, when it's early on in the relationship so it doesn't get later and it becomes such an unbelievable, uh, insurmountable type of issue with your kids. Some of you would say, you have no idea the arguments that I would have with with my child. This is also why parents of young children, it's important for you to establish these processes and priorities early on in your life as parents. What does it look like to be unequally yoked? Well, take a look at this first picture. This is kind of what it looks like, all right? You can imagine the difficulty, right? you got the big horse leading one direction. The horse wants to go, all right? And the cow wants to... You know, the ox wants to go right down the path and do what an ox is supposed to do. And they're pulling different directions. It's difficult. And some of you would say, that's really not a depiction of my marriage. This is a depiction of my marriage. Yes, that's right. Where it's the cow with a really obstinate individual, okay? That you would see this. Well, here's my point. My point is, this is what God intends. Now, what did I say earlier? At EVC, we are the church of the broken. And some of you, are, you have been in relationships or you have attempted relationships and those relationships haven't worked out. And you'd say to me today, listen, Randy, that's great, but I'm already in a place of brokenness. That's, that's okay. We're here to help you. We're here to pray you through this. We're here to support you in the midst of that. We know that we're, none of us are perfect in this room. And you may have struggled in this. You may have struggled as a parent to try to bring these things into your life as as a family. But maybe you accepted Christ later in life. And the example you already set for your kids. They're already throwing that in your face and some of those things. And it is a difficult process. And you're not going to be perfect in it. And we know that. But we walk with you. But this is God's standard. I didn't make it up. This is what God desires. Why though? Why? Because the faith of this generation, the family is where our faith is lived out. Our life groups are phenomenal, but they meet with us. They see our lives once, sometimes twice a week. But our families see our life and our faith lived out every day. They see where we really back up what we believe or not. To live this faith out in our family means that you set these standards And you say, this is why God wants the purity of our faith to move forward. Folks, we are one generation away from Christianity being wiped off the face of the map in the United States. And this is one way that God has put in place for us to be yoked together with believers that our families might be believing families. But if you're not there, there's hope for you. There's grace for you as well. Number two. We see a commitment, a commitment of the use of our time, a commitment of the use of our time. Look at Nehemiah 10 verse 31. He says, we also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we will set our land at rest and we will cancel all debts owed to us oh if they had just listened to this prior to the dust bowl in our country that every seventh year you leave fields fallow and you don't plant anything so that the nutrients the nutrients can come back and be re-nourished oh that our time would be used this way that we would understand that God wants a commitment a recommitment of our time to be spent with Him. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Spending time on a daily basis in His Word. But also as we get together. One seventh of our week is spent together here in corporate worship. We are giving of our time back to the Lord. Do You realize that time is the commodity of our present life. In this information age. Do we give more money in order to get back time in our lives? Absolutely. The reason, uh, Jennifer and I were talking about this on our trip this past week, of my family growing up, we maybe ate out maybe once a month. And usually it was on a Sunday evening after church uh, was was the the one time, maybe once every other week or so, that we would eat out. But we may eat out in order to gain back time, in order the preparation of time. So this whole idea of fast food. What about dry cleaners? What about people mowing yards or doing different things? We will pay money in order to get back time in our lives because time is of an incredible value to us. I discovered this past week how much time is of a key value. As we were in northwest Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas is the head of the world headquarters of this little company called Walmart, all right? And Walmart introduces new kinds of stores in northwest Arkansas. They test them before they give them to the rest of us. And we drove past this store that said, Walmart Online. And it is a store which you do not enter. You only order online. And you pull up to the kiosk and they deliver your groceries to your car. How many of you are up for that? All right. Thank you very much. Jennifer was going, one more reason why I might move to northwest Arkansas at some point in time if they don't bring this to Texas, all right? So we give back, we give money in order to get back time in our lives because it's a key commodity of our, of our present, of our, of our lives today. Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16 says this, Be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity, of every amount of time, because the days are evil. You see, what they were recommitting themselves to was that their time would be given to God. This whole idea of the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath day as holy before the Lord, is God's idea, not just for God, but for us, that we might have a day of rest but that we would also have a constant remembrance in our week that we are celebrating Him and His faithfulness in our lives. So I know I'm preaching to the choir today. You're here. I get that. So all of you, those of you who are listening online, why were you not here on this particular Sunday? But the point is this. How do we use our time? Now, verse 34 is not in... It's not on an overhead, but I encourage you to go back and read it. If you have your Bible open and you look there at verse 34, one of the things he talks about is every family was required and was responsible for signing up to bring the wood for the sacrificial offerings at a specific time. Now, why would Nehemiah do that? He wanted ownership and involvement of the people of God to actually bring something to the sacrifice, not just the sacrifice, but to literally bring the wood for the sacrifice to the temple now we are providing an opportunity for EVC to do that, as I was talking with Karen uh, we 've kind of gotten too big to do just our one Saturday of spring cleaning because when we get people here, there's so many of us that we're kind of on top of each other so we 've separated out every year before Easter we 'll do an EVC kind of spring cleaning where we have jobs that are, are are small tasks that people can do, and we break them down that way instead of doing a Saturday this time, we are actually We've got signups in the back. If your family, any day of the week over these next two weeks, you would like to bring your family and do a task together to actually live this out of the opportunity of your time, you can sign up for that in the back. So you can sign up for what day and what kind of skill level you have. Okay? Some of you have senior homes. Don't sign up to paint here at EBC, all right? No, I'm just teasing. But whatever your skill level is, you can sign up and your family can be a part of this in giving your time to actually being a part of helping out the local expression of God's temple, His body, the body of Christ. A commitment of the use of our time. The third one is this. It's a commitment to the priority of their resources. A commitment to the priority of their resources. Nehemiah 10 verse 35 through 37 says this, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple every year, year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees, we agree to give God our oldest sons. Can I get an amen? All right. How many of you would give God your oldest sons and you want to bring them here to EVC? We do not want your oldest sons. Okay. We do not. We agree agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. Now we will present them to the priest who minister to the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth or a tithe of everything our land produces. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. So he institutes or recommit, they recommit their lives to this idea of giving to the local expression of the body of God, the temple, a tenth of their income. This is what God's word says. Now, I love sharing this message at this time in the life of EBC because we have not been more blessed at any other time in the life of our church financially than we have been in the last year and a half. It's been phenomenal. But that's the reason this is a great time to to bring this kind of an understanding and this kind of a message. Listen, God doesn't need your money. This is an opportunity for you to express yourself to the Lord and to use your resources. Now, if you want to bring a tenth of the apricots off your apricot tree, fine. You want to do that? But he's also saying a tenth of all your income now before you would say, now wait a second, this is Old Testament and Jesus came to fulfill the law. You are exactly right. So let's look at what the New Testament says. It essentially says the tenth is a great place to start, all right? As he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get only a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. What is God saying? You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't do it reluctantly or in the response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do not begin to give because somebody tells you you have to give. You need to give out of the abundance of the love and expression of your heart. Because how much is God's? Only 10%, right? No. Everything we have is God's. What we give is an expression to God out of his love and his concern and his compassion and desire that he has already given to us. And then he says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. What God says to us today is, you can trust me. You can test me. This is the one area in Scripture where He says, test me. Just let me show my faithfulness to you. Listen, don't give because you feel under compulsion. Give out of the abundance and overflow of what God has already given to you. Look in the rearview mirror and see where He's been faithful and give accordingly. As you want to live forward into to this future of your life, how do you want God to, To give back to you. Do you want him to give grudgingly to you? No. You want him to give in abundance to you. So give in abundance to him. Not to give in order to get, because we have made it very clear that is not the message of EVC, that you give in order to prosper. You give because God has given all to you. And he will meet your needs in the process. The last thing that's said in verse 39 is this. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. And that's where we bring this to a close today. EVC, can we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God? Both the temple where He resides in each of us individually and the temple of our God, the place, the local expression of the body of Christ. We want to live this out today. We want to conclude today in worship together. Now I want to set this up for you. As we look at worshiping together this morning, the first song we're going to sing today is a song of expression of surrendering all to God. I want you to think about this. I want you to sing this as an expression of your worship today. This worship is the expression of what these people did in the faith of our families in the use of our time in the priority of our resources are we committing these things with total abandon to god would you stand with me this morning let me pray for us as we enter into another time of worship today father we want this to be an expression of our lives we stand as the children of israel stood and We raise our hands and we say to you, we stand to commit our lives, our resources, our time, and our family. We give them to you, God, for you to use. Lord, may you receive this time of worship as our expression today.